It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Berry. Ken Berry, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thanks for having me. Is there a doctor in the house? I believe there is. There is now. Ken, not only are you a a very talented doctor, uh, but you're also a board-certified fellow for the American Academy of Family Physicians, which for those that don't know that are listening, it's a kind of a big deal. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of means you've jumped through all the hoops and they've accepted you into the inner fold, so to speak. Uh, I guess um, you might call a family medicine doctor a GP there. Is that right? Yeah, well, not not being a qualified medical anything, um, relying on uh, most of your knowledge there, but I'm certainly surrounded by lots of very intelligent, uh, very clever, very dedicated people and and that certainly includes you, Dr. Cannon. And I, my very first question is, if I had rung you up 10 years ago and said, hey, Dr. Ken, you're going to be hosting this amazing YouTube channel with a million plus subscribers talking about eating ribeye and butter every day, would you believe me? No, no. It, it, looking back, it's, it's been a very unique, uh, interesting journey. And uh, it's obviously not finished yet, but uh, yeah, no, not at all. I would have told you you were crazy and probably hung up the phone uh, <laughs> because, you know, it just it didn't make any sense to me back then because I hadn't seen what I've seen now and heard what I've heard now and read what I've read now. And that's one of the, the most powerful things about uh, any of the styles of the ketogenic way of eating is once you get it. Nobody can ever confuse you about it again. You pretty much got it for life. And you may stray for a minute. You may do something stupid for a minute, but you always know the answer. And so whenever you're ready to reclaim your health, you just move back uh, towards the ancestral way of eating and your health just improves. So everyone's got a Genesis story in this community, Ken, and I'd I'd love to hear yours. Yeah, so about... 10 years ago, I, I became a morbidly obese, pre-diabetic uh, family physician. And so at my heaviest, I was 297 pounds and I was pre-diabetic. My hemoglobin A1C was 6.1 wow. and all my other hormonal markers were off. My inflammatory markers were up. I was miserable every day. I was always angry that was my default emotion was to get mad about things. And uh, I was a bit of a prick just because I was, you know, my knee was always hurting. I always had heartburn. I was always worried that I had dandruff 
on my black shirt, uh, you know, just constantly worried and constantly uh, in discomfort. And so I thought, well, I must just be, I don't know, eating too much junk or something. And so I, I, I went and printed off the American Diabetes Association's diet because I was pre-diabetic. So I started adhering to that very religiously. I started jogging two or three times a week. I stopped all saturated fat. I, I would only eat whole grain bread and muffins and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I actually uh, got sicker. I got I gained more weight and uh, I didn't feel any better. And I thought, man, I'm missing something here. It's got to be something more to this. And so I started looking outside the box and I found books like uh, Robert Atkins, uh, Diet Revolution, Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint, Lauren Cordain's Paleo Diet. And I, I, I stumbled across this guy named Banting and I read his little pamphlet and I thought, well, that's a completely complete opposite of everything I've ever been taught about human nutrition. But it sounds like it works. You know, I, and back then, my number one priority was to not be fat anymore because all my life I'd been very slender. And I used to, you know, bitch and moan because I couldn't gain weight. I was just very, very slender. But when my metabolism shifted because of years of, of metabolic abuse, all of a sudden I couldn't get skinny. And so I, I basically applied the principles that I got out of those four books. And immediately I started to lose weight. My blood sugar numbers started to return to normal. And, and I started to feel better. Uh, heartburn got better. Knee pain got better. My, you know, my dandruff got better. <laughs> and back then I had no idea of the power of eating a, a meat heavy ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet. I just thought this was a weight loss hack. And so I just thought, well, that's coincidental that all that other stuff got better. That can't have anything to do with the diet, right? And so then as I was losing weight, my my most morbidly obese patients would see me and they'd say, doc, you're looking good. What are you doing? And so I would start to tell them, well, I'm, I'm eating this diet that you eat lots of fatty meat and a little bit of veg, not a little bit of fruit, but mainly lots of fatty meat. And they're like, well, can I try that? I, I'm supposed to have, uh, you know, bariatric surgery next month. Can I try that between now and then? I'm like, well, yeah, it didn't kill me. And so I started out recommending it to my most morbidly obese, metabolically unhealthy patients. I wouldn't recommend it to a normal patient because they didn't need this, what I considered to be a hack at that time. Uh, and so they would come back in a month or two or three and they would say, oh yeah, I've lost, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds and my knee arthritis is much better, or, and my psoriasis is better, or they would always be an and. And the first few times I heard that from them, I thought, well, that's coincidental. There's no way this, this diet is causing those things to get better. And so then I started recommending to my patients who were just obese, not morbidly obese, but just had a BMI greater than 30. And they came back with similar reports. And it was about that time I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. I've got to look into the research about this. And so I, I continued to research and read and, and uh, you know, watch YouTube videos from a lot of the early pioneers in the low carb movement. And lo and behold, there is research that, that chronic hyperglycemia and chronic hyperinsulinemia and chronic inflammation does in fact either lead to those conditions or make those conditions more severe. And it was at that point that I thought, well, maybe human beings just by design 
should eat a meat heavy. Maybe that's the way we evolve. Maybe. And back then I hadn't studied the paleo anthropological evidence. I didn't realize that, oh, hundred percent that's true. And we've known that for quite some time in the paleo anthropological literature that 40, 50, 60, 70,000 years ago, humans were meat eaters and they would, they would eat some veg if they were starving <clears throat> or if the fruit was ripe for a week or two, they would eat some, or if they found a honey tree, they would eat some, but on a daily basis for the, for the majority of their time, they just ate as much fatty meat as they could kill. And, and that's kind of how we evolved into this apex species that we are now. And so the more I started to put all these pieces together, it occurred to me what we're all doing here, you and me and, and, and the Fetkies and everybody else in this space is we're rediscovering the proper human diet. That's what we're all doing here together because for the last 50, 60, 70 years, we've been under the we've been under the spell of this fad diet, this low, low fat, lots of whole grains, lots of fruit and veg. That's a fad. That's only been around for 50 or 60 years. That's not, and it's based on no legitimate scientific research. And so the American Diabetes Association, the American Heart Association, all these guys are promoting this untested, unproven fad diet. That's what they're promoting. And people in other countries sometimes say, well, why are you talking about the ADA? I don't, I live in New Zealand or Australia. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that most of the regulatory bodies in every country take their cues from the ADA or the AHA, AMA, and other regulatory bodies in the, in the U.S. I, 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 they shouldn't, but they do. They consider us to be the world leader in this, that, or the other. But uh, in this case, we're the world leader in the biggest untested, unproven fad diet that's ever, that humanity's ever been tricked into trying. That's basically what the, we're, we're giving to the world. So I'm not <laughs> proud of that. But... That's what's going on here. And so people in, in all nations need to understand, regardless of your ethnicity over the last 15 to 20,000 years, that doesn't really matter because evolution moves much slower than that. What you have to understand is you're a hominid, you're a homo sapien. There is a proper human diet for you that consists mainly of fatty meat. And it can be ruminant meat, it can be monogastric meat, it can be seafood, and then some some veg, either for medicine or for flavoring, or just if you're starving, you can eat some veg, that's fine. But to optimize your health, to reclaim the you that you've already always wanted to be, you have to eat an optimized proper human diet. And that consists of fatty meat and perhaps a little bit of plant matter on the side or as a garnish or for medicinal purposes, but the bulk of your diet should be fatty meat. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here, Dr. Cannon. Say, is, is there any doubt in your mind at all that you are wrong? Not anymore. Uh, when, when I uncovered the research, there's actually been randomized controlled trials conducted in human beings where they replaced the, the saturated fat from animal foods. They replaced that with polyunsaturated fatty acids, fatty acids from plants. That's been done in three separate occasions, very large studies, very well-controlled studies, blinded studies that went on for years. And in all three cases, they found out that the people that they removed the saturated animal fats from and replaced that with polyunsaturated uh, vegetable fat 
they had more heart attacks, they had more clogging of the arteries, they had more cancer, and they died sooner. So the evidence, the research has been done. Uh, the Minnesota Heart Studies one, there's one out of Australia, and there's another. I've got a YouTube video that I talk about this hidden research, and this research flew in the face of what they were expecting to find. So they just didn't publish it, or they would publish it in some obscure journal in Scandinavia in another language. So that, so that nobody would realize, oh my God, they just disproved the diet heart hypothesis that, that, that saturated fat is just absolutely going to give you a heart attack. They disproved that. That's not true at all. You actually get sicker and die quicker if you're eating a diet that's high in polyunsaturated vegetable fat. That's been done on three separate occasions with beautifully done controlled research in humans. So this is not some small rodent study this is a study in Homo sapiens, and so there's at that point when I've discovered those three studies, it, several things occurred to me. Number one, yeah, this is this is it. This is the proper human diet. We need to be eating lots of saturated animal fat in our diet, and the protein that always comes along with that. And then a couple of other epiphanies occurred to me. One is uh, the big pharmaceutical companies who've been trying for decades to come up with a pill for Alzheimer's or a pill to raise HDL cholesterol, all the research they've done, all the study they've done, they know. They know this. At that point, it's like, I mean, I got goose flesh. That's like, they know. They already know this. There's no way that they've researched uh, lipidology as much as they have, and they haven't stumbled on those studies. And they haven't stumbled on the fact that the only way to raise HDL safely and in a healthy manner is eating lots of animal fat and lifting heavy weights. That's that's how you do it. There is no pill that does that without uh, disastrous side effects. And there's no way they don't know that. And so if they know that, you and I know that that the, the top executives in the big pharma corporations, they go in and out of government all the time. They'll work for the FDA for a few years, the USDA for years, then for Pfizer, then for Merck. They bounce around to better careers. There's no way that at the very upper levels in the boardrooms, they know this. They know that fatty meat is the ancestral food of human beings. And at that point, I thought, so what that led me to believe is there's no reason trying to change this from the top down. That's never going to work because these guys know this already. I'm not telling them anything new. And secondly, their, their, their bank account is directly related to them not knowing this. Right. And so I think Upton Sinclair had a famous quote about trying to convince a man of something when his his paycheck depends on him not understanding it. And so I thought I just need to reach out to the people because I'm a doctor. My job is to help people be healthier. That's my job, not to change the USDA food guidelines. That's not my job. I didn't take an oath to do that, but I did take an oath to do no harm and to help people be healthier. And so I thought, well, that's that's what I'll do then. And so I started applying this to my clinic. Uh, my clinic had a little Facebook page. So uh, once a week, I'd go live, I'd go to the library locally and I would do a little get together and I would talk about these these concepts with, the, you know, maybe 20 people there and then the 100 people watching on my Facebook page. That kept growing and growing. And finally, my my genius wife, she said, why don't you start a YouTube channel? And I was very offended by this. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a doctor. I'm not a, I'm not going to be a YouTuber. What the hell? And so one day she asked me the, the key question. She said, how many people did you see in the clinic today? 
And this was after a couple of weeks of us fighting about the YouTube channel idea. And I said, ah, 30 or 40. And she said, so you helped 30 or 40 people today. That's awesome. I'm really proud of you for that. What if you could help 3,000 people every day? And at that point, I had to bow my head and say the words that every husband regrets. Yeah, you're right. I had to tell my wife she was right. And you know, that that really hurts a husband to have to say that. I'm kidding, of course. But And so I thought, okay, fine. How do I do this? And so I just basically became a YouTube nerd trying to figure out how to do this. How do you make a video? How do you post it? How do you make a thumbnail? How do you make a title? And so quickly I went from helping 30 or 40 people a day to three or 400 a day to three or 4,000 a day. And it just keeps growing, which uh, nothing can make me happier because as I said earlier, my job as a doctor is to help people be healthier. And so now I get to do that on a worldwide scale. And I mean, I think any doctor out there, if you can magnify your message, why would you not do that? You're called to, to help people be healthier. That's your job. And the more people, the better. Well, a massive shout out to your beautiful wife. Is it Nisha? Nisha, yeah. Nisha Salas, Salasbury. Yes. And uh, I, you, you, uh, I've seen a couple of videos of you guys together. You are a uh, real power couple and, and, you know, you're both, you're both incredibly good looking individuals. Well, thank and, you. and they say that behind every successful man's an even more, you know, switched on woman. And I think uh, the same goes with my beautiful fiance as well, because she eats what I eat as well. And I was just curious to know what, what you and your wife's diets are. Yeah. So we'll just, for example, I broke my fast today at about 2 PM with a uh, big fat, thick, juicy ribeye that, that I, I fried in the skillet in bacon grease and butter. And I put a bunch of Redmond's real salt on it, which is a, a mine salt. It's not evaporated seawater. And I ate that and that's it. I'm, I'm done. I may be done for the day. I may be done until a second meal later in the day, depending on what my hunger signals tell me to do. Uh, and she, she, so we intermittent fast every day for at least 16, 18, 20 hours every single day. That's just part of our life. And I think that again, mimics how our ancestors lived 50,000 years ago. They didn't have three meals a day with three snacks in between. That never happened, right? Because there was no grocery store, no supermarket. And so Nisha, who is a woman who is breastfeeding, who does have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, she also intermittent fasts every single day and uh, eats uh, one or two meals a day, which are very meat heavy meals. And she's been slowly, uh, she came begrudgingly to keto. Uh, she really liked her veg and her fruits and stuff. But but now that she's keto, she's been very slowly migrating to a, a very fatty meat, heavy keto, which she started calling ketovore. Uh, and then uh, many, many days, she's just exclusively carnivore. Uh, her breast milk supply is amazing. Our, our boy now is Beckett. He's 12 months old. He's growing like a weed. He's very intelligent. He's very outgoing, very happy. And so I'm still waiting for us all to die of a phytonutrient deficiency, but <laughs> we, we all seem to be pretty healthy. So I think we're going to be okay. Well, the, the thing I love about you, Ken, is is your, uh, your the, I think the reason that your YouTube channel has just absolutely exploded. I feel like you've added half a million subscribers in, in less than six months, maybe. And it's because you're able to articulate this message so simplistically. And 
I I have I'm a very enthusiastic and I've got so much energy that sometimes I I feel like I can overwhelm people and and I have been accused of being too aggressive not not because I'm ramming down their throats because I'm like this and it's just because I'm healthy right I'm not I'm not angry I'm actually way more chill than I've ever been eating like this nope. What is it about how you get your message across that do you think is so effective? Well, I think that 20 years of experience in the clinic, seeing patients one-on-one, that taught me that uh, my job is not to be impressive. That's not my job. My job is to break this down into bite-sized nuggets that the patient can, first of all, understand the words I'm saying, and secondly, grasp the concept because uh, that's almost like teaching a man to fish versus giving him a fish. If I just say, hey, don't, don't, you know, avoid this and eat this, but I don't give them any of the conceptual background, they're going to run into a wall and be like, well, what about this? I don't know if I should eat that or not. But if I'm able to relay the concept, oh, got it. Then they understand the concept. I've actually just taught them to, to fish, which is euphemism for teaching them to think on their own. When I'm not there, they can still think through this and go, yeah, so butter's got to be fine because it's zero carb. It's, it's, it's from an animal. That's got to be fine. Cheese, that's probably okay. Skim milk, no, it's it's very it's fat free. Obviously, that there's no way that's okay. And so I could walk, I could easily walk into a patient's room and just vomit my knowledge on them and just impress the hell out of them. They're like, wow, he's the smartest bastard I've ever met. But when I leave the what would happen in the clinic when I would do that early in my career is that when the nurse went in to give the patient their discharge orders and their prescription or whatever they would then have to explain to the patient everything that I just said. And so I realized I can't be going in there using big fat doctor words and trying to be all impressive. I have to explain this to them in their language. And if I don't do that, I've I've effectively failed because now I've got a nurse tied up explaining the big doctor words to the patient. And I looked very impressive and they thought I was a demigod, but they didn't understand what the hell I said. And it, so therefore I didn't really help them understand the, the fact of it or the concept of it. So I had failed and that, that's how I looked at that. And so when I make a YouTube video, I try to, I try to just pretend I'm talking to a patient who happens to have this, whatever I'm talking about. And I try to explain it to them in a way that they can understand it. And so not only understand the facts of the matter, but get the, con- the concept behind it so that then when they go forth into the world, they can think for themselves and they won't be confused. And, uh, you know, like a good example is the keto bread that you maybe have seen on the grocery store shelf. Everybody's trying to cash in on the keto hashtag because it's so popular. And so I just taught people early on, you got to read the labels of everything, even butter, even ribeye. If it's got an ingredient list, you read that and say, why the hell does my ribeye have more than one ingredient, right? And so they they know they have to be label Nazis. And so when this keto bread came out, first of all, they were, in, they were euphoric. Oh my God, I get to eat bread again. Then they flipped it over and they read the ingredients. Oh, wheat gluten. Oh, soybean oil. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, wheat flour. Uh, just just on and on grains and vegetable oils. And they're like, I don't think this is keto. So I didn't have to be there with them holding their hand to help them make that decision. They just read the ingredients and they're like, hell no, that ain't keto. I ain't eating that. And I think that's why so many of these keto products are going to fail 
because our, one of our biggest missions is, is you got to think for yourself. You got to read the ingredient label. If you don't know what an ingredient means, Google it, look it up because in 10 seconds, you can know what that means and you'll know if that's keto or not. And so I think that really helped a lot of people not to fall for the bullshit out there uh, of people trying to make a buck, which I don't fault them for. That's human nature. We're all trying to make a buck. That's fine. But don't do it by tricking people, especially tricking them uh, in areas of health and nutrition. That's not cool. And I'll call you out in one second for that. Your uh, your book, Lies, Lies My Doctor Told Me, struck a real chord with me. The foreword by Dr. Gary Fick here, another extraordinary uh, person in this whole community. I uh, I had good for 17 years, Ken, and, and I was on 20 to 40 milligrams of omeprazole or SOMAC or whatever you want to call it yep. for that whole time. And because I had to get repeat prescriptions, I had... 17 different GPs. It was two surgeons, two endoscopies. Every single one of them told me that it was a genetic anomaly and there was nothing I could do about it. Yep. And I watched one interview on Joe Rogan with uh, doc, uh, the functional medicine guy, Chris Cresser, and he spoke about the link between heartburn and gluten intolerance. And that, that sent me down this pathway. Yep. I'm, I'm curious to know, what's the, what's the greatest learning out of all of this that's just totally blown your mind? Well, the, 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 the power of a proper human diet, that I had no idea. I recognized early on, people will lose weight if they eat this way, right? And that's, that, that's very powerful. That absolutely improves people's health. But it, it only came to me slowly through much research and thought that, yeah, this is definitely going to help people lose weight back down to their ideal body weight. Or if you're underweight, it's going to help you put on weight until you approach your ideal body weight. But I didn't understand all the inflammatory processes going on from the grains and the seed oils and, and the lectins and the phytates and the oxalates. I didn't understand all that. Uh, and and it's, it's only been with time the last few years that all of this has kind of gelled together it, that it, it has occurred to me. Plants are, they're a starvation food. And, and I've, you know, that's, I've taken to call rice and beans. Yeah, that's, that's a slave diet. That's what you, it's super cheap. They won't starve to death. Uh, you're not concerned with them being optimal. You just want them to get by enough to do their work. If they die in 10 years, oh, well, there's more slaves, no big deal. But if, if a human being wants to be optimal, if they want to be mentally clear and alert and sharp, and they want to be physically pain-free most of the time, they got to they gotta avoid that stuff. That stuff is full of stuff that causes inflammation and, and problems in the human body. Uh, those problems are definitely better than starving to death. So, you know, if I were stuck at the bottom of a well and all I could eat was rice or beans or starve to death, I would eat the rice and beans. But as soon as I got out of the well, I would stop eating those foods immediately and go back to eating a proper human diet. So I think it's just, it's, it's the globalness of this thing that really blew me away that everything gets better. And, and anybody out there, if you have a chronic medical condition, just go to your search engine and type in whatever your chronic condition is and insulin resistance or and hyperinsulinemia or and metabolic syndrome. And you'll see that virtually every one of the chronic medical conditions of adults in the world are directly related to the inflammation and hyperinsulinemia that comes from number one, eating too many carbs and number two, eating all the inflammatory things that are in plants. That's it. And so when you, once you see this, 
this is a this is an entire paradigm. This is an entire philosophy of eating. Once you get all this, it's almost like you've got a, a armor on. You can't you cannot be uh, knocked off off your your path because you know no, absolutely not. That is not uh, part of a proper human diet. I'm, I might eat that once a year on my anniversary or my birthday, but that's never going to be a daily food for me because I want to feel good. I want to look good and I want to be good. And the only way to have all three of those things is if you're eating a proper human diet. I've asked this next question to most of my guests that are, that are focused in this area, Ken, and, and it's something that I truly, truly believe. I'm just curious to know your thoughts. I believe fundamentally that 99.9% of all the world's problems could be resolved with diet. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that number's not fairly accurate uh, because, and, and so another thing that it took me a while to realize was the mental health benefits of eating a proper human diet. And, you know, uh, to, to, for, a, for a, a, a traditionally trained doctor to admit that, hey, when I went from eating, you know, the American Diabetes Association diet to eating keto, my heartburn got 80% better. And then when I went carnivore, it went completely away. I haven't taken anything for heartburn in over two years now, which, you know, 10 years ago, I was taking two Nexium every day, which is a brand name of a very strong acid blocker. PPI, and so yeah. when the Nexium rep, drug rep would come to my office to leave samples, I got all those. The patient didn't get those. I didn't give them out. I kept them because I needed them because of my heartburn, right? And so to tell a, a traditionally trained doctor that, chronic medical conditions get better when you eat a proper human diet. That was a stretch. But when you start saying that mental health, mental diagnoses start to get better with a proper, I mean, that's just a, that's a a light year leap for a, a traditionally trained doctor to go, what? There's no way that's true. Turns out, yeah, it is. And so if you were to be able to help all of the anxiety in the world with a proper human diet and all the depression, and all the OCD, and all of all of the the social anxiety, and all of the other mental health care diagnoses. If all those got even ten percent better on a proper human diet, but what I'm seeing is they get eighty or ninety percent better. But let's just say they only got ten percent better. First of all, that'd be better than any prescription drug has ever done. Secondly, how much happier of a place, how much more cordial of a place would the world be? Would our would our our large societies? How much better would it be? How much safer would it be to live in a you know a, a urban center with a million people in it? How much safer would you be if everybody in the community their their OCD, their ADD, their depression, their anxiety, all that stuff was just ten percent better? I mean that's huge. Uh, like I said earlier, back when I was eating the crap diet, I was pissed off all the time. That was my go-to emotion. If something didn't go right, I was immediately mad as hell, right? And now I'm much more stoic about things. And my wife said, she said, sometimes it aggravates me because when I'm trying to get you mad, I can't even get you to be mad. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just so much more positive. You almost can't make me mad unless you physically or verbally assault me or my wife because that's going to get you hurt. Yeah, that's going to get me mad, right? But if if you're just a saying a, a a theory that I disagree with, that that's not an emotional event for me. I'm happy to discuss that with you, or we can even debate it. But I'm not going to get emotional about it. And I think that's a that's a sign that that you're metabolically unwell, and you have 
you have uh, cerebral inflammation, if everything makes you mad and you're immediately, you know, you're either mad or sad, that's your default emotion. That's from your diet. And I think when you fix those things, society, it's like you just oiled the society. Every Everything runs smoother. People don't get, there's not, the road rage is going to calm down because people are, they don't have that hair trigger anymore. They're much more stoic about things. They're like, well, I'm sure that was an accident instead of I'm going to kill that bastard, you know? And so when you, when you start having a difference in mental health, that ex- exponentially multiplies out into society. And I think society just becomes a more um, nicer place to live. Well, I'll tell you something, Ken, that's been happening as a result of this podcast because I've just, this is the 65th recording as uh, from April 2020. And uh, off the back of an interview I did with Professor Alan Fells, who is a very influential man in this country, in Australia, but he's running the Royal Commission into Mental Health. And during the podcast, I asked him um, after explaining what happened in my diet change, what he thought of it, because his daughter has been suffering from schizophrenia from a young woman. She's, she's 49 now. And he was very open-minded to it. And he, and he referenced a gentleman by the name of Barry Marshall, who won a Nobel Prize. I don't know if you know that name for, um, for a helibacter um, self. You know that, that guy? So he's coming on the podcast soon. I spoke to him just yesterday about my own carnivore experience in mental health, and he was very, very interested to hear and, and talk about this further. And so when you start talking to Nobel, not Peace Prize, but the Nobel laureates, and they are starting to you know, have interest and in these key people of influence, you know that you're onto something good. And yes. so my mission, Dr. Ken, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a PhD, but I'm a real good connector, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put these people together. I'm gonna introduce Alan Fells to Dr. Georgia Ede. Can you imagine the impact if his daughter was able to improve her symptoms just by eating ribeye? Absolutely, and 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 I think it's important to say that the average prescription medication for depression or anxiety or schizophrenia or any mental health diagnosis. They usually get FDA approval, which is the that's the board you have to go through in the U.S. with a one or two percent therapeutic effect. That's it. That's they literally they don't even have to prove that they're better than other drugs on the market. They just have to prove that they're one or two percent better than placebo, and don't have any dastardly side effects. That's all you have to do to get FDA approval. What if we could show that this diet? is reducing the symptoms of mental health diagnoses by 20, 30, 50%, right? I mean, that's going to that's gonna destroy billion-dollar corporations. And I, I think that the powers that be that I referenced earlier in the boardrooms, you know, in the skyscrapers, they, they're fully aware of that. This is going to decimate entire economies. It's going to be almost the same as, uh, as when the automobile makers – almost put the, uh, you know, the farriers out of business because nobody needed horseshoes put on anymore because they all had a car. And so you could just imagine the the candle makers when incandescent light bulbs came out. They're like, hey, you're going to destroy an entire industry. It's like, yeah, but it's for the good. Long term, you're going to be happy we did this. And I think that same thing can be said for a, a meat-heavy keto, keto diet or a carnivore diet. Yeah, we're going to destroy billion-dollar corporations as this diet continues to catch on and spread, which it absolutely will, because it's easy, it's delicious, and it works, and it's sustainable. So there's no downside. There's never anybody 
ever who said, I don't like ribeye. Nobody <laughs> said, nobody, right? Nobody says that. Greta Thunberg. So it's on and grows exponentially. Everybody's going to stop taking their acid blockers. Everybody's going to stop taking their antidepressant. They're not going to need that crap anymore. And immediately the profits of all these big pharmaceutical multinational corporations are going to start to suffer. And, and also the big food billion dollar multinational corporations that, that make the, the processed carbohydrate shit that they try to tell us is healthy food, they're going to start to, their profits are going to start to tank. When that happens is when their buddies over in government are going to start to try to enforce a plant-based diet and, and enforce a high carbohydrate diet on us and say, no, meat is bad for you. I forbid you to eat it or I'm going to tax meat. That's when that kind of stuff starts happening. That's not to protect our health. That's to protect the big boys profits. That's what that's for. And so I would, I would encourage anybody out there to keep an eye out for that sort of thing. If you start seeing legislation trying to put a tax on meat or trying to, you know, make you eat a, a high carbohydrate plant-based diet, that is very, very concerning that we're actually starting to have a, an effect on the, the profits of the big boys and I'm glad to see that happen. But at the same time, that's going to bring on more talk when you start trying to take my meat away from me. We'll have to discuss that. We'll be discussing that while I'm polishing my high-powered rifle, Dr. Ken. Right. Yeah, and that's another thing about carnivores in general. They're usually very level-headed, very calm, but uh, you don't want to threaten their health or their life. It's it's typically turns out to be dangerous to do that. Uh, as it's been for the last 200,000 years. You don't, you, don't, you don't come into an area where humans are and threaten, threaten their hunting grounds. That's a good way to get stabbed with a spear or something, you know? And, and so it's always been dangerous to do that. And you would think they would, could read their history and remember that. But you can't take real human food away from human beings and expect them not to rebel at some point. It's a, it's a great point, Ken. And I think, you know, the, the whole, like, ethical, the whole environmental argument if you're able to, to eliminate any need to, to worry about pharmaceutical industry and the money that's involved with that, you could focus the efforts to, to make this stuff sustainable, which it turns out it actually fucking is anyway. And like when you look at the numbers of bison that were in North America in the 1800s, like you're talking about way more heads of cattle that even exist on the planet currently, if I'm not wrong. No, you're, that's absolutely correct. And so when they say that it's all the cow burps, that that's ca causing global global warming. That that's just ignorant on its face because the number of bison used to dwarf the the number of cattle, and plus the average bison was four times as big as a cow. So you'd have to take the cattle population and multiply it by four to have the volume of ruminant animal that you had back when the bison ran the the prairies by the millions. So it's just a, it's an ignorant argument on its face, but a lot of people are buying into that argument because. The entirety of the average person in the U.S. anyways, education is what's, what they've watched on television their entire life. That's all they know. And so if they haven't stumbled across me or you or, or any, anybody in this sphere, they have no idea that properly pastured cows actually improve the environment. They actually help with carbon sequestration. They, it actually helps with greenhouse gases. That's, that's actually a good thing. But they don't know that because all they hear is cow burps, you know, are destroying the world. So we all need to eat tofu. 
Ken, uh, uh, if I could pick your brain for a for a, a particular medical matter, matter that's happening in my life <laughs> and one of my family members who's a 71-year-old male um, for, for a number of reasons ended up in hospital and has found to have a such a swollen prostate that he's unable to urinate. So they've put him on some medication. They found out he's type 2 diabetic as well. He's got a, some scarnopenia and he was his diet was horrendous. They've, they've had catheters which have gone in and out because like the whatever hasn't healed properly so he has unable to be to urinate what is he what what are his options with what I can influence because he's very open minded to diet and he's been he's he's happy to yeah. be guided but from a medical expert that would be just unreal yeah he immediately needs to go on a, a 100% carnivore diet uh, that's going to help the inflammation. That's going to help the hyperinsulinemia. That's going to help the diabetes. It's going to calm down the swelling of the prostate. Any dairy that he uh, eats needs to be the fat part of dairy, not not the skim part, right? So heavy cream, butter, uh, ghee, That those are the only dairy products that need to go in his mouth. Full fat fermented cheese, maybe. But any, any dairy that's less fat than that needs to be out of his diet immediately. All the grains need to be out of his diet. All of the vegetable seed oils need to be out of his diet immediately. And as his diabetes improves, so will his prostatitis. They'll both they'll get better hand in hand because they're both caused by the same exact thing, which is the diet that he, he's been eating. I've got a couple of videos about prostate health on my YouTube channel that go into more detail and actually list the research in the show notes showing that benign prostatic hypertrophy and prostatitis are directly related to insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and hyperinsulinemia. Yeah, they, they, I've, I've watched those as well, Ken, and, and uh, it's, it's um, so powerful. And my lights just started to blink, so don't worry about it. I'll just edit it out. But um, sorry if it's distracting you. <laughs> Okay, um, no he uh he he stayed with uh my fiance and I for 48 hours and we just pounded ribeye liver oysters and his mood like just unbelievable just energy levels it was so it's so abundantly clear that like it's like it's this burden of knowledge that we now have Ken you know that you can't hold it in like you say um right. Ken, I'm, I'm very conscious that you are an incredibly busy man. You're probably punching out some more amazing YouTube videos today. Uh, and I'm I'm really curious to know, what is the future of Dr. Ken Berry? Well, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, I'm working on about five book ideas right now, some in collaboration with other um, MDs and PhDs, so a couple that I'm working on just writing myself. I'm going to keep making the YouTube videos. Uh, I'm going to keep interacting with people on social media. I'm going to keep being a doctor who who first does no harm and secondly helps people improve their health. That's my calling. And I, I, let me say this. I think this is powerful. What I'm doing in this, this last half of my career is I'm trying to undo the damage that I caused by my ignorant advice in the first few years of my practice, when I was back, when I was recommending the American diabetic association diet for di- diabetics, I hurt people with that advice and it, I, it was well-meaning advice, but I was just wrong. And it was my job to know better. And I didn't. And so I, I still carry guilt that I did harm 
back then when I was recommending people join the gym and, and, and join Weight Watchers and, you know, eat a vegetarian diet, I, I, I harm people. And so it's, it's my goal to do so much good in the world, helping to improve people's health that hopefully that'll negate the harm that I did when I was giving that ignorant advice back in my early career. So I, I don't have any plans to ever stop doing this. Uh, I love it. I look forward to it every day. And uh, anytime someone, you know, like, like your relative that just after 48 hours of eating a proper human diet, their mood and their, you know, their alertness is already better. That just makes my heart smile. That's why I do this stuff. Well, Ken, I, I, I got to say to you, like, I'm, I'm proud to know you and I, and I, I just can't wait to see just how, where, which direction this is going to take you and, and I'll do everything in my power to, to continue to get your message out. Uh, you are truly doing God's work and it's been a real career thrill for me to, to share this time with you today and uh, I can't say anything more than that. Ladies well, and gentlemen, Dr. Ken Berry. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-S dot com.